close and, and the Lord faithfully bringing him through and, and, and seeing Joseph's response to that. Um, before we dive in, I do want to just uh, read a couple short scriptures um, that I often associate with, with Joseph's response to his troubles and trials. Psalms 37, uh, David wrote this in his old age. King David, he said, Trust in the Lord, do good, dwell in the land, and feed on his faithfulness. And I just love the simplicity of, of that scripture. Trust in the Lord and do good. And, and sometimes in the thick of troubles and trials and confusion, we just need that simple reminder. Just trust the Lord, do good. I know for me, there's been times where things have been hard in life, and, and that verse would just play over in my mind, and I'd repeat it and just say, okay, this is hard, this is confusing, but I can trust the Lord in this, and I can just do the next right thing. And we see Joseph do that. Um, Peter says much the same thing. Um, he says it this way in, in 1 Peter 4.19, Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And, and Peter just adds this reality of, okay, remember who you're trusting your soul to. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He can handle what you're entrusting to him, which is your soul in the midst of whatever sufferings you're facing. And, and, and he just says, hey, entrust your soul to him and then keep doing good, keep doing what the Lord would have you to do. And we're going to see Joseph do that. Um, and, and we will read uh, a good chunk of scripture, so I would really encourage you guys to have your Bibles open. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to grab a church Bible. It would be page 58 for those. Um, and we're, we're going to at least read a some of the first chapters in his story and then kind of jump into an overview after that. But before we do that, let's just pray and ask the Lord to open these passages to us. Lord, uh, I just thank you for your work in the life of Joseph and, and the encouragement that it's meant to be for us of, of your faithfulness, of your goodness, and your ability to carry us through whatever we face in this life, and your ability not only to carry us through it, but to, to work it for good as you did for Joseph. And we just, we honor you for that, and, and just pray that you would help us to grow in that and, and come to trust in you more this morning. And we just pray for this, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Um, so we're going to be in Genesis 37, starting in verse 1, and like I said, we're going to read some big chunks here, so just be ready. Uh, but I will say, out of all the stories in the scriptures, like this is one of the easiest ones to just follow along and be swept away with um, um, what takes place and what God unfolds in, in Joseph's life. Uh, chapter 37, verse 1 says this, Now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. This is the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpha, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. So he said to them, please hear this dream which I have dreamed. 
There we were binding sheaves in the field. Then behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And indeed, your sheaves stood all around and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brother said to him, Shall you indeed reign over us? Or shall you indeed have dominion over us? So they hated him even more for the words, uh, for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed still another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Look, I have dreamed another dream, and this time the sun, moon, and the eleven stars bowed down to me. So he told it to his father and his brothers, and his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow down to the earth before you? And his brothers envied him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Just real briefly, in relation to, to um, Joseph's dreams, he, he certainly, it would seem, had, has an idea that this is from the Lord. You, you'll get that through the, the rest of reading the, the story of Joseph's life, as well as from uh, Psalms 105, and I forget the reference, verse 19, uh, gives indication that, that it's, it's clear this is from the Lord, and, and the Lord even uses this to bring testing into his life. Um, so, so, you know, he has this expectation of, of God having this, you know, plan for his life, and um, really a plan of, of exaltation and, and honor, and, and yet things are going to go, if you know the story, um, downhill quickly. And so let's just continue reading what takes place. Verse 12 says, Then his brothers went to feed their flocks in Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers feeding their flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send you to them. So he said to him, Here I am. Then he said to him, Please go and see if it is well with your brothers and well with the flocks, and bring back word to me. So he sent him out of the valley of Hebron, and he went to Shechem. Now a certain man found him there, wandering in the field. And the man asked him, saying, What are you seeking? So he said, I am seeking my brothers. Please tell me where they are feeding their flocks. And the man said, They have departed from here. For I heard them say, Let us go on to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. Now, when they saw him afar... Even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, Look, this dreamer is coming. Come, therefore, and let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say, Some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben heard of it, and he delivered them out of their hands and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him, that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring them to his father. So it came to pass, when Joseph had come to his brothers, that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. Then they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat a meal. Then they lifted their eyes and looked, and there was a company of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels, bearing spices, balm, myrrh, on their way to carry them down to Egypt. So Judah said to his brothers, 
What profit is there if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him. For he is our brother and our flesh. And his brothers listened. Then the Midianites' traders passed by. So the brothers pulled Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for twenty shekels of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. Then Reuben returned to the pit, and indeed Joseph was not in the pit, and he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The lad is no more, and where, and I, where shall I go? So they took Joseph's tunic, killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the tunic in blood. Then they sent the tunic of many colors, and they brought it to their father and said, We have found this. Do you know where it, uh, whether it is your son's tunic or not? And he recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, For I shall go down into the grave to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Now the Midianites had sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh and a captain of the guard. We'll pause there for a moment and, and, and just consider this. Um, sometimes reading this, you know, uh, you don't see all the emotion that's in the story. But if you place yourself in the situation that Joseph went through, then it, it becomes a little easier to start thinking, wow, this was incredibly difficult, even though our text doesn't describe his um, emotional state in all of this. We can, we can kind of fill in the gaps, and actually the scriptures do later on fill in some of those gaps, and I want to take a moment just to, to uh, refresh our minds in regards to this. Later on in the story in Genesis 42, Joseph's brothers are going to be repeating uh, this story and considering what took place and, and feeling guilty for it. And they say, we are truly guilty concerning our brother for we saw the anguish of his soul when he pleaded with us and we would not hear. Therefore, this distress has come upon us. Um, and you, you, you get the, a little bit of the story filled in for you there. Um, in, in this moment, I mean, Joseph is just pleading with his brothers and, and crying and saying, hey, in his anguish, saying, don't do this to me, brothers. Don't, you know, don't, don't do this wicked thing. And yet, they do it. Um, Joseph's father, near the end of his life, is going to speak a blessing over Joseph's life. And he, he describes Joseph this way. He said, Joseph is a fruitful vine, a vine by a well. His branches run over the wall. The archers have bitterly grieved him, speaking of his brothers, shot at him and hated him. But his bow remained in strength. The arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. And uh, in this, we just see, hey, th- his brothers bitterly grieved him, right? Brought such... Uh, hurt into his life through their hatred, through their bitterness, and, and Joseph hadn't done anything evil towards them to, to deserve this by any means. Their jealousy takes over them. Um, as you read through the, the account of Joseph's life, you're going to see at least seven times where Joseph breaks down and, and weeps, um, and that that's pretty uh, substantial number for, for uh, that to take place. And six of the seven times that are connected, 
um, six of the seven times he, he weeps, they're connected to the situation that we just read about. They're connected to the brokenness and confusion that came about from his brother's deed towards him. And, and so Joseph's life is kind of just thrown into this, this whirlwind of confusion and, and pain. Um, if, if Joseph sold at age 17, which would seem uh, likely, or at least what we can kind of get from the text, it's going to be 22 years until Joseph is finally reunited with his family. And so that's a, such a long time. What he's facing right now is, is, is truly an, an incredible weight and truly uh, something that was not expected and, and so different from what he likely thought the direction God was going to take his life in. Um, and and to, to add on top of that, he likely lost his, his mother in the recent past, his mother Rachel. Um, and so he is, he's just had so much going on in this space. And, and now we get to see how Joseph responds to this. Um, and so let's pick it up in, in verse 1 of chapter 39 and, and see what goes on here. It says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord had made all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight, and served him. Then he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put under his authority. So it was from that time that he had made him overseer of his house, and all that he had that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in his house, and all that he had in his field. Thus he left all that he had in Joseph's hand. And he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and said said to him, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Look, my master does not know what is with me in this house, and he has committed all that he has into my hand. There was no one greater in this house than I. Nor has he kept back anything from me but you, because you are his wife. Now how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And so it was, as she spoke to Joseph day by day, that he did not heed her, to lie with her or to be with her. Now it happened about this time, when Joseph went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was inside, that she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and ran outside. And so it was when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside that she called to the men of her house and spoke to them, saying, See, he has brought into us a Hebrew to mock us. He came into me to lie with me. And I cried out with a loud voice. And it happened when he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me. And fled and went outside. So she kept his garment with her until his master came home. Then she spoke with her, mas- with her husband, 
these words saying, the Hebrew servant whom you brought to us came in to mock me. So it happened as I lifted up my voice and cried out that he left his garment with me and fled outside. And so it was when his master heard the words which his wife spoke to him, saying, Your servant did to me after this manner, that his anger was aroused. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And there he was in the prison. Um, At the outset, we see, um, before all the craziness goes down again, um, that, that Joseph's response um, to being sold into slavery, betrayed by his brothers, it, it doesn't lead him to a state of constant complaining. It doesn't lead him to a state of, of laziness or anger, bitterness, right? Constantly fighting with his master or, or working only when he's seen, right? We, we see him, and, and what does he do? He, he trusts the Lord in the middle of this situation, doesn't grow bitter. Instead, he, he just does good. He does what is right. He's faithful in the things the Lord places before him. And even in the face of strong temptation, which can be amplified in times of, of deep trial, where we might think, well, God's forsaken me, so I'll forsake him. Or, or um, you know, I've earned this th- with all the stuff I've gone through, right? He, he's faced with tremendous trial. I mean, he, his own master's wife is... is daily pressing upon him for him to sleep with her. Um, Likely a very good-looking lady, and and just, and and Joseph faithfully deals with that temptation, and and even while we're on that, um, especially just in the world we live in, I think uh, his response in particular to that sexual temptation is a great example. Paul would speak something very similar to, to Joseph's actions. He tells us to flee from sexual immorality, Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the one who is sexually immoral, they sin against their own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple the Holy, of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And Joseph walks in that um, in a very hard space. I mean, we've got to think about it. He's so isolated. He's all, he's all alone. He doesn't have a community to be encouraging him, supporting him. Um, and in the middle of, of all that's in front of him, he, he trusts the Lord and just does what is right. And it lands him into to more trouble, though. Um, and, and just when you, you think it can't get any worse, uh, it does, right? You might not think it can get any worse than being a slave and being forced to, to uh, work for somebody else. And, and yet now he's thrown in prison and he has labeled on him uh, an accused attempted rapist, right? Like imagine the the amount of of shame you would feel in that space being joseph and just thrown into a dungeon and 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 left there um and it would be so easy for joseph to start getting bitter against god getting bitter against his brothers and and and, um just shut down throw pity party whatever um but but that's not what we see him do And, and once again we need to realize how how very hard this is for joseph um, in, in a little bit, Joseph is going to see an opportunity to maybe get out of, of prison, to get out of the dungeon that he's in, and, and he's going to say something to somebody he thinks m- may have the ability to help him, and this is what he says. 
He says, remember me when it is well with you, and please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house, for indeed I was stolen away or kidnapped from the land of the Hebrews, and I have not done anything here that they should put me in this dungeon. Right? I mean, Joseph is, is pleading with this guy who, who he thinks may be able to help him, and, and we get to see a little bit of what's going on in Joseph's heart. He's like, man, this is, this is hard, right? Like, I don't, I don't want to be here. Um, I've been stolen away from my land, and now I'm in prison. I didn't do anything to, to deserve being here, and yet this is where Joseph finds himself. Um, even later still in Joseph's life, he's going to have some children, and he's going to name the children, and it gives us, again, a glimpse of, of where Joseph's heart and struggle and emotions are at during his time in Egypt. Um, he, he named his firstborn son Manasseh. He said, For God has made me forget all my hardship and my father's house. Right? So he, he speaks about his time in, in Egypt as being hardship. Um, and, and then he names his second son uh, Ephraim. He says, For God has made me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction, or you could say misery, or even maybe depression, right? That, that God had caused him to be fruitful. This is after um, God has brought him through this season of, of great trial. Um, and Joseph looks back on it and, and says, he speaks of it that way. It's a time of misery, a, t- a time of affliction. Um, and, and that's where Joseph is at. And so now let's see how he responds. So pick it up in, in verse 21. It says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him his mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all, that the, pri- all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did there, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. It came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in the custody of the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them while they were in custody for a while. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in prison, had a dream, both of them, each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came in to them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers, who were with him in the custody of the Lord, uh, his Lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, We each have had a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. Um, in, the, in the middle of, of going down another step, and in the middle of, of facing deep sorrow and deep discouragement and, and no doubt wondering, like, how in the world does this fit into the plan that I thought God had revealed to me? Like, I thought we were supposed to be going up, not down, right? This isn't going in the right direction here. Um, in, in the middle of that, um, he, he continues to, to trust God and continues to do good. Um, he's faithful with the situations God puts before him, right? Like I said, he, he could have 
throwing a pity party, and, and really nobody probably would have blamed him for it. Um, it would have been completely natural, human to do that. He could have become callous, cynical, bitter, but in, instead his, his heart remained full of love for God and full of love for others. We see that even in, in this moment in prison. I mean, he continues to faithfully serve. The, the master of the prison puts Joseph in charge because he sees God's favor in his life. And, and then just one, one day out of many that he was there, we're told that he just notices the facial expressions of, of two prisoners, of the many prisoners that were under him, right? No doubt he, he saw many faces throughout the day, but he just noticed these, these two men were especially sad. He noticed their facial expre- expressions, and instead of just being like, man, I've got my own problems to deal with, right? You guys suck it up, buttercup, right? He, he, he thinks of their well-being and, and asks them, hey, what's going on? And then he represents the Lord so well in saying, hey, interpretations belong to God, and he, he ministers to them, speaks the truth, and some of it was really hard for him to speak of, of what would happen, and, and you guys probably know the story, and I'm not going to go into all the details of that, but he, he just continues to trust the Lord and, and walk in what the Lord has, and, and so from this point, we're not going to be able to, to keep reading like we have been, because there's just no way we can cover that, all of that in, in our hour together, so we're going to have to start summarizing a little bit. Um, of what's going on. Um, so, so one of the prisoners that he interprets the dream for um, is going to be released to Pharaoh, right? And, and I already read to you guys earlier that, that Joseph asked him, hey, when, when you get out, mention me to Pharaoh. And, and yet what happens, the scriptures tell us that the ch- chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed, and then we'll, we'll pick up from there in a second, but just another disappointment, right? Uh, Joseph knows that this guy's going to be brought back to Pharaoh, and, and he has hopes that this guy would mention him, and two years goes by and, and nothing. Um, and once again, just another space of, 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 of somewhat of a, a, a letdown, right? A big letdown. Um, he's likely been a slave or a prisoner uh, for close to 13 years now. Uh, and, and had some hopes that, that this guy would, would let him out. Well, I guess it would be more like 11 years. It'll be 13 years total. But he has hopes uh, that this guy would let him out. But another whole two years goes by. Nothing happens. Um, and yet, how does Joseph respond to this? Well, we know from the way he's going to respond when things change that, once again, he continued to trust the Lord. He continued to just walk in what the Lord had before him and did not grow bitter and angry towards God, resentful of his brothers either, as we'll see. Um, so we'll pick it up um, in uh, verse 15 of, of chapter 41. Um, and just, uh, um, just to, to kind of fill us in between what, what we're skipping here, uh, Pharaoh's had two dreams. Nobody can interpret them for him, and they're troubling dreams. He, he knows there's something to them. And he's trying to get people to help him. Nobody can help him. And then finally, the butler two years later remembers, oh, yeah, there's that guy that helped me out, and I totally forgot about him. Uh, you should check him out. You should get him out of prison and, and, and tell him your dreams and see what happens, right? And so that's what happens. Pharaoh calls for Joseph, um, and Pharaoh says to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. 
how easy it would have been for Joseph to, to take the credit and say, yeah, I got this, right? Um, but he doesn't. Joseph answers saying, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace, right? Once again, we just see Joseph's heart has stayed in a place of trusting God and seeking to honor God um, in all that he faces. Um, and um, so, so Pharaoh ends up telling Joseph the dreams, fills him in, and then Joseph tells him what the dreams mean, that there's going to be seven years of, of plenty where they can harvest extra food, and then there's going to be seven years of famine where there's, there's not going to be enough food for the land. Uh, and Joseph's suggestion is, hey, you, you need to find somebody who is wise and, and who, who could uh, take the food during the plentiful years and, and, and store it, store the extra, so that during the seven years of famine, you guys will be able to survive and, and help those around you. And, and this is um, Pharaoh's response to, to Joseph's interpretation and suggestion. He says, So the advice was good in the eyes of Pharaoh and the eyes of his servants. And, Joseph, and Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find such a one as this, a man in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all of this, there is no one as discerning and as wise as you. You shall be over my house and over my people, uh, and all my people shall be ruled according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Um, now this is, this is incredible. And, and before we just move past this to continue the story, we should just stop and realize that our God, He is amazing and He is able to do uh, way more than we could ever imagine. Um, uh, think about it. Joseph goes from being in a dungeon to becoming the, the second most powerful person in the world at this time. Uh, he, he goes from being a slave to an accused rapist in prison to, to the next day uh, becoming uh, one who is the second most powerful uh, and respected person in, in the world at this time. And that's mind-boggling that that can happen. I mean, I've never heard of anything else like that. In, in my life, of, of something like that happening. Um, that, that's mind-blowing. And, and we just have to realize the God that we serve. He's so much bigger than we are, right? And, and in the middle of it, Joseph, his faith was well-placed, knowing that God was going to be faithful to the things that he had promised. And even though it didn't look like it was working out that way, he just continued to trust. And in God's timing, he brought it about. And in an amazing way, that brought him great glory, brought the Lord great glory. And um, I just think of what uh, Paul, Paul wrote in, in, in Ephesians 3. says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or think. And I mean, no doubt Joseph wasn't thinking <laughs> that this was going to happen, right? And no doubt Joseph probably wasn't asking that this was going to happen. Um, and yet, boom, it happened like that. Um, incredible right? Way more than Joseph was asking or thinking. According to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Um, at this point, though, as, as we continue in the story, things are certainly less painful for Joseph, right? He's not in a situation where he's a slave. He's not um, in a situation where he's falsely accused and in a prison. Um, 
and yet he still has a, a huge test in front of him. What is he going to do with his brothers? Um, because his brothers end up coming to Egypt um, once the, the seven years of plenty are over and, and the years of famine have begun. Uh, his, his brothers come to Egypt for, for food, for grain, to keep them and their families alive. Um, they don't recognize him, uh, and it had been, like I said, close to 22 years, and likely he, he's wearing uh, Egyptians' uh, clothing and such. So they don't recognize him, but he recognized them. And the scriptures tell us he remembers his dreams when they bow down to him. Um, and, and he proceeds to test them. Um, to see if they've truly changed. And once he's, uh, they've passed the ch- test, Joseph reveals his identity and proceeds to forgive and embrace and care for his brothers. And, and we'll just read a, a, a moment that, that takes place in Genesis 45. It says, While Joseph made himself known to his brothers, he wept aloud. And then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Does my father still live? Brothers, brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed in his presence. And if you know what's been going on, Joseph really was, was giving them a hard time and, and really put some fear of God in them uh, through some of the, the testings that he, he brought them through. Not with the intention to do them harm, but with the intention to see if, if they had sincerely changed from their ways, and, and it had been proved that they had, but you've got to just imagine, I mean, that they're just in shock because, I mean, who would have thought that this situation would happen, that their brother would be still alive and that their brother would be the second most powerful person in the world. Um, mind-blowing to them, right? They're in dismay um, in his presence. And Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now, do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. Um, we just see Joseph extending forgiveness, extending kindness and grace to his brothers when they certainly didn't deserve it. Um, but, but the Lord enabled Joseph to respond this way. Um, then, and it's a beautiful moment of reconciliation, but if you know the story, it's not fully complete yet. 17 years later, um, uh, this is after uh, Joseph's brothers have come, moved to Egypt, as well as their father. They've moved to Egypt so they could be sustained during the famine. But 17 years later, Jacob, Joseph's father, and his brother's fathers, uh, he dies. And the rest of the, the brothers think, okay, we're in trouble now, right? Dad's dead, and, and probably the only reason Joseph was being nice to us is because we were, we were worried about what Joseph's going to do. Uh, we are worried what uh, he's worried about his father and how that would affect his father if he killed all his brothers, right? So he's just been waiting until Dad dies, and once he's dead, now he's going to kill us, right? He's going to get his revenge. And so his brothers come up with a story to try to... Uh, uh, save their skin. Um, this is in Genesis 50. It says, They sent messengers to Joseph, saying, Before your father died, he commanded, saying, Thus shall you say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of your father. And Joseph wept 
when they spoke to him. You see Joseph's tenderness in his heart, but you also see uh, he's grieved that they didn't truly believe his first act of forgiveness towards him. Um, Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. And Joseph's response is beautiful. Joseph said to them, Do not be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Uh, we just see this beautiful moment where, where Joseph's love and forgiveness is, is fully proven, uh, where, where there's nothing hold, holding him back, right? His father's gone. Uh, he has all the, the power and ability to, to just totally destroy his brothers and, and get revenge. And he doesn't do that. He, he extends them forgiveness. And you see the perspective that a life of faith has, has, God has worked into him to where he is, he's able to say, hey, you guys meant evil against me, but God worked it for good. God meant it for good so that many people would be saved. And, and so much resembling what Paul wrote in the New Testament uh, in Romans eight twenty eight that we know that God works all things together for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purposes. And it's such a beautiful uh, conclusion to this struggle between Joseph and his brothers and, and all the turmoil that that caused. Um, um, now today, if we, if we leave this space thinking about Joseph and, and we're primarily just thinking... Man, Joseph, he's such an amazing guy. I, I want to just be like him, right? Or, or I want to, you know, not respond so negatively to my circumstances. I want to have a positive mentality. I want to not get bitter. I want to do better. If we leave this place with that in our mind, we're, we're going to miss the point of, of Joseph's life um, and, and what it's meant to point us to because it's not meant to point us to, to Joseph as the hero. It's meant to point us to God as the ultimate deliverer and sustainer of our souls. Um, as we read through the story of Joseph, I, I intentionally kind of went over and, and uh, didn't focus on really the, the main thing that we see um, in the passage so that we could, at the end of our, our time together, focus in on that reality. So I'm going to take a moment and, and reread some of the sections of Joseph's uh, right after his difficult spaces in life, and, and we're going to focus in on the most important thing that, that enabled him to, to walk out this life that he lived. Genesis 39, this is right after Joseph has become a, a slave, sold by his brothers, betrayed by his brothers. It tells us this, that the Lord was with Joseph, and he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and intended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From that time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in his house and in his fields. If you see it, it's just it's the presence of God in Joseph's life that is enabling him to face these moments and enabling him to be successful in these moments, right? And the success is not 
through, through worldly success that would look like, hey, having a, a 401k, having all this stuff figured out, having, having it, you know, um, it, it, it's not that. It's, it's what the Lord had intended for his life, and, and he was walking in it, and therefore his life was successful in even those difficult spaces because he was accomplishing what the Lord, and it was the Lord who, who enabled him to do this. We see the same thing take place after he's lied about and sent to prison. Now, this, this is what the scriptures tell us, that Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper in the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed, right? We're starting to see the hero of the story is the Lord of, of Joseph, right? The God of Joseph is the one who's enabling him to face these things, to overcome these things, um, and, and it's beautiful. Uh, Pharaoh notices this um, when, when Joseph is in his presence, and Pharaoh says to his servants, can we find a man like this, and whom is the Spirit of God? He's like, you know, this pagan unbeliever sees it in Joseph. He's like, this is a man of God. The Spirit of God is in this man. Um, he sees the presence of God in his life. Jacob, Joseph's father, when he speaks his blessing or Joseph's life, gives us the key ingredient to why Joseph was able to stand in the face of the bitter trials that came his way. He said, Joseph is a fruitful vine, a vine by a well. His branches run over the wall. The archers have bitterly grieved him, shot at him and hated him, but his bow remained in strength and the arms of his hand were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob, right? Jacob speaks, in, in, speaks about Joseph's life and says, hey, the, the reason why he was able to overcome all the hatred, all the, the, the brokenness and, and the hurt that he faced, the, the bitter anguish that he faced, was because the, the hands of his God strengthened him. Um, Joseph himself recognized this in his life, and, and even in the naming of both of his sons, he makes it very clear that he, he is not the hero in the story, but it is the Lord who meets him. And when he names his son Manasseh, he says, his name means this, that God has made me forget all of my hardship and all of my father's house that God was the one who brought comfort to him and, and healing to him. And then he, he named his second son Ephraim um, in remembrance of the fact that God had made him fruitful in the land of his affliction, the land of his misery. And, and, and so Joseph looks back at his life and he recognizes, it's the Lord who has done this in my life. It's the presence of the Lord that has brought me through this, that has comforted me, that ha has caused me to be fruitful even in the land of my sufferings. And as we read the scriptures, I mean, isn't that what our God tells us over and over again? Speaking of even in the Psalms, how um, that in the, in the space of, of weeping that the Lord would cause it to be um, um, a, a space where... where um, fruit abounds or can abound in our life as, as the Lord meets us. Um, this, is, this is a reality that Moses recognized, the need for God's presence in our lives. And I love the way Moses put it <clears throat> in Exodus 33. Moses said to the Lord, <clears throat> if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. How will anyone know 
that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us. And what else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Moses realized, hey, it's your presence among us. It's your presence with us that makes us distinct from all the, the people in this world, right? And if we think, hey, we're just going to go out and be good people and win the world over in our own strength, it's not going to work, right? The, the reason why we are distinct people separate from all the world is because the scriptures tell us as we put our faith in Christ that God's spirit comes to dwell within us and transform us and carry us along in this life. <clears throat> Paul the apostle realized the same reality and he put it this way. He said, I've learned in whatever situation that I am in <clears throat> to be content, to be satisfied. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Contrary to how it's often quoted, this isn't a Bible verse saying that we can dunk a basketball or catch a football or all that kind of stuff, right? This passage is, is telling us that through the very hardest of times in life, the times of great need, the times of great trouble, and the times that are good, we can face those content. With, with where we're at, like Joseph did, right? I mean, Joseph did that so well in the midst of all the, the brokenness in his life and all the confusion. He doesn't blame God. He doesn't get bitter against God. He's not this disgruntled human being who every time somebody says hello, he just turns away or says, you know, whatever. I don't, I don't want to talk to you. I don't have any time for you. I, I, he, he's not that way right? He, he's a man overflowing with love for God, a man overflowing with love for others, and, and it is this reality that God was with him, and, and he was leaning on the Lord, trusting in the Lord, and just walking in the next thing that the Lord placed before him, and, and when we think about what our God has offered to be to us, uh, it, is, it is so incredible. Um, Psalms 46 puts it this way. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Selah. If you, if you read that poetic language, he's just saying, hey, if everything's going wrong and mountains are like falling into the sea and we're just, the world is falling apart, our lives are falling apart, he says, hey, we're not going to fear. Why? Because we're really smart and we got it all figured out? No, right? Because God's our refuge. He's our strength. And then he puts it in such a beautiful way, a very present help in trouble. It's not as if God's just like, hey, you know, you're in this situation. Here's some words to encourage you, and uh, I'll check in on you in 10 years and see what happens, right? That's not who our God is. He tells us that he's our very present help in time of need. He's right there with us in the middle of it, seeking to meet us and to encourage us and to strengthen us. And what a privilege we have as God's children to have that, to have the Lord himself as the sustainer of our souls. The words of, of Asaph, I think, are, are so appropriate in this moment. Um, if you know the context of this passage, in Psalm 73, Asaph has, has been going through some in, intense troubles in his life and, and really moments of almost despair and struggle. 
And at the end of it, he just recognizes this about God, um, that through all of the, the, the struggle that he went through, that God was with him. And this is what he says. He says, nevertheless, I am continually with you, or you're continually with me, right? You hold me by my right hand. You will guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and the por- my portion forever. And he says, no matter what I'm going through, even if my, my body's failing, he says, hey, you know, my, my strength is found. It's not in my own body. It's not in my own wisdom. It's not in my own might. My strength is found in the Lord. God, he is the strength of my heart. He is my portion. He is enough for me, as we sing. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed all those who desert you for holotry or spiritual prostitution, turning away from God to serve other gods. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord that I may declare your works. Moses put it this way, and I love it. Deuteronomy, he's speaking to the the people of, of Israel, and he says, For what great nation has a God as near to them as the Lord our God is near to us whenever we call? And and Moses just looks at the gods of the world and he says, What nation has this amazing God that we do who comes so near to his people? who's not distant and says, I, I want nothing to do with you, or, or is not just callous and far off and says, well, I, I got you started and, and you, you can take care of it from here. He says, our God is near to us when we call. And if you know the reality, we in Christ have something far greater than what Moses and the Israelites had at this time. When you think of all the things that that. Um, came between them and drawing near to God, right? There was the, the, the sacrifices, there was um, uh, the, the tabernacle, and, and um, there were so many different things that, that um, were, were barriers, and, and they could, none of them could enter except the high priest once a year into the Holy of Holies, um, the, the very presence of God. And, and yet for us, we, we have bold access to enter into the throne room of God in Christ because Christ has made, made a way through his, his, his death and resurrection. And I love, I love uh, the way Paul puts it in Corinthians 1. Um, he says, Christ will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? It's, it's Christ himself that sustains us. He is the one who's with us, even as uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were, were in the fire, but the Lord was with them in that. And the Lord is with us in the fires of our lives, in the trials of our lives, and he is the one we should look to, not ourselves. Look to him, trust in him, and, and walk in what he has for your lives. He will sustain us to the end. Um, before we close, um, I, I do want to address those who may not know the Lord, those who may not have a relationship with the Lord, and you're saying, I have no idea what you're talking about. This makes no sense to me. Um, I, I'll say that I was in that boat um, when I was younger, and I really thought that um, the Bible was all about this to-do list, don't do this, do this, and I, I did not understand the concept that, that God loved me. And, and wanted a relationship with me and wanted to walk through all of, of, 
life with me. Um, and, and so I want to take a moment just to, to reason that out with you. Um, the scriptures say that before we come to Christ, we are separated from God. Isaiah puts it this way, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is his ear heavy that he cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And, and, and when we realize our state um, because of our sin, the, the scriptures just make clear there's a separation between us and God because he is holy and we are not, as the scriptures say, all of sin, all have fallen short of the glory of God. And if you're in that space today where you have not received Christ to be your Lord and Savior and had him for, forgive you of your sins, then that's where you're at. You're, you're short, falling short of the glory of God. You cannot have, be in the presence of a holy God and have him in your life. Um, but Peter gives this amazing reality. He says this. He says, Christ suffered for our sins once for all. He never sinned. He was perfect. But he died for sinners. And why did he do it? To bring you safely home to God. To bring us to God. To make it possible for a holy God to dwell with, with an unholy people. He makes us holy by the blood uh, 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 that he shed. By his life that he gave. He suffered physical death but was raised to life in the spirit. Paul puts it this way in Thessalonians, that Christ died for us so that we can live with him and forever, right? Um, that's an amazing reality that, that so often can get passed by, that the reason Christ died, one of the reasons was because God wanted to dwell with his people. And if you know that's the way the story ends in Revelation, that God dwells with his people face to face, that they're his people, he's their God. And that's what Christ died for, to make a way. And the scriptures tell us that the second we put our trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord, our Master, and as our Savior to forgive us of our sins, we turn from our sins and turn to Him, the scripture says that the Spirit of God rushes in, right? And that's exactly what He's wanted to do all along, to be with uh, His people. And sin prevents that, but the second sin is moved out, God moves in. And, uh, and so if you're outside of Christ today, know that, that God wants to be that in your lives. God wants to be literally dwelling inside of you and with you and, and bring you safely home to heaven as the scriptures speak. And that safely doesn't translate as uh, we often would, would think of it. We think like everything's going to go perfectly, right? Paul's the one who said that. And if you know anything about Paul, he had some things similar to, to Joseph, some great struggles, some great trials, but the Lord was faithful and brought him through it all and brought him to, to heaven to be with him forever. Um, and so in closing, um, I, I want to encourage us as, as brothers and sisters um, to consider the words in Hebrews. The Lord tells us this. He says, let your conduct, your life, be without covetousness. Be satisfied, right, with what you have. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He tells us, hey, the reason why we can be content is because the Lord has promised he will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He is enough for us, and he will be with us no matter what we face. So we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me? And, and earlier, the writer of Heter, uh, Hebrews would put it this way. He says, seeing that we have a great high priest 
who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but in all points was tempted as we are, and yet without sin. And then he tells us this amazing promise. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. It says, in light of what Jesus has done for us, and in the light of who Jesus is, that he's our high priest, and that he sympathizes with us. He knows the sufferings we're going through. He knows the temptations we're facing, because he himself faced them. When he came in the form of a man, he tells us, hey, let us come boldly before his throne. Let us come boldly in the very presence of God because Christ has made a way through his body, uh, through his blood shed on the cross for us. He has made a way for us to enter into the very presence of God. And why? So that we may obtain mercy and grace to help in time of need. And we see that in Joseph's life, that Joseph just continued to to come to the Lord and, and let the Lord be his rock, let the Lord be his strength in the middle of all the things he faced. And that is what kept him in the space of honoring the Lord and, and not coming to a, a become a, a bitter and, and resentful person, but one that was just overflowing with the grace of God, overflowing with the love of God. And so I pray that um, today our hearts would respond in the same way. Uh, we would set our focus on the Lord and, and come boldly into His presence. And so we're going to um, close here in a second, but I want to give you guys just a moment, uh, a quiet moment, um, between you and the Lord to, to just pray and, and whatever the Lord has spoken to you today, just take that up with him and, and, and take a moment and pray and then we'll close in prayer and worship together. Lord, we, we thank you that you are not a God who desires to be far from us. But Lord, you are a God who loves us and wants to be near to us and to be a very present help in time of need. And Lord, wherever we're at today, uh, whether it's a time of of plenty, a time of of goodness, or whether it's a time of of great trial and great need. Lord, I pray that we would see you to be the sustainer of our souls. That we would see you to be with us in the ups and the downs of this life, never forsaking us, never leaving us. And so we can be content and confident no matter what we face. 
So, Lord, we pray for that today, Lord. Teach us to trust in you. Teach us to rest in you even as Joseph did. And, Lord, may our lives, in like manner of Joseph, prove out the reality that your will, it is good, and it is perfect, and it is pleasing. And, Lord, we, we pray for this in our lives. We thank you for the example of Joseph and the faithfulness you showed to him. And, Lord, we're confident that you will show us that same faithfulness to never leave us and forsake us. And, Lord, today, if there's any who do not know you, who do not have you in their lives, Lord, I pray that they would come to know you today. I pray that none would be in that category that on the judgment day you say, depart from me, for I never knew you. But I pray that they would put their faith in you and find hope, find life, find mercy, and find you to be their God, a faithful creator. Lord, we thank you for all of this, and we love you. And we worship your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. If you guys will stand and we'll close in worship.